Welcome to Karthik Hosnagar. Most of his friends know him as the tall, lanky Bitsian with a very unique blue jacket that weathered the heat and cold of Pilani. Karthik today is an academic, an entrepreneur, an investor, an author, a director at Wharton Business School and a movie producer at Jump Cut, his latest venture. In his spare time, he also does stand-up comedy, dances at weddings and gets beaten at chess by his son. So welcome Karthik and thank you for being here today. Well, thanks for having me Shubha. You know a little too much about me. It's pretty clear. <laughs> I'm using deep artificial intelligence to dig all this out. So our conversation is going to be not so much about what you do, but how you do it, Karthik, right? So at the core, who are you? Which of all these roles really makes you jump out of bed? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think I've debated that a little bit at least in recent years because you're doing something and then you kind of question is this the thing that I was born to do or that it, that should define everything that I'm working on. We spend so much of our time, most of our time in fact, excluding sleep is going on work. I've asked myself that question and at least for me my conclusion has been I don't think any of us are designed by nature to be that unidimensional and that every one of us has so many different facets or sides to ourselves and if we define ourselves too narrowly you end up working on something very narrowly i think i am all of these things there's a part of me uh, that loves creative expression especially in a visual form that loves photography that loves cinematography and directing and acting and all of that stuff there's a part of me that loves math and loves uh, mathematical or quantitative research there's a part of me that likes teaching and advising students uh, there's a part of me that's super excited about starting something new and going from an idea to building a company and making it a reality so i think i'm all of these my conclusion is probably none of us are that conventional i think what piqued my interest when i read about jump cut was the sheer breadth of work that you're doing how do you nurture and take a wide range of interests to an elevated level of performance and output i get what you're saying that a lot of us have varied interests and we dabble in multiple things but what interests me is how you're able to take each one of those and not just fiddle around with it as a hobby but really take it to the next level Uh, it's probably not realistic that we can take everything we do to the highest level we might have to pick and choose and so on the one hand we want to acknowledge that on the other hand i think the other point to acknowledge is that we are often trapped in our own doubts about whether we can do something and mostly it's those doubts that limit ourselves because almost anything new we do there's bound to be challenges and there's bound to be these moments where it's like wow you know this is way beyond me but i think for me i've kind of realized that we just have to push through those and you keep pushing through those and you'll you'll make it i think some of this is you know shubha i don't know how much of this you know we've chatted a lot but i don't know we've chatted about this in particular but you know back in we both grew up in bangalore when i was uh, a kid in bangalore in a middle school even early high school i was pretty much an average student 
maybe during Delhi middle school, probably below average student. And I had a bit of this complex. My brother used to do really well. He was in a middle class family, the good kid who's getting good grades and I'm, I'm not. And sometimes you get defined by that. And I defined myself by that. And then I'd always this thing that I'm going to show these people that I can do well and so on. And at some point, when this was 10th standard, we have board exams. I kind of worked hard, studied, and then pulled it off. And my goal intent was, hey, somehow I have to do get a better grade than my brother. And when I did that, and in fact, even before I wrote the board exam, I kind of realized, wow, I can easily do that. It's not that complicated. And somewhere along the way, I had this realization that anything that's humanly possible, I can do it. I mean, certainly there are things that are impossible, but if someone else can do it, you know, probably I can do it. And we've just defined ourselves by, oh, wow, that's too hard for me. That's too complex for me. And so mostly that's been my approach. It just comes down to how badly do you want it? So if you tell yourself, this is important enough for me, then yes, I think we do it. Maybe we'll need a little more time than someone else because we are new into this and they've been doing this for 10 years. But mostly it's breaking free of the artificial shackles that don't really exist, but our mind has created. And once we get past that, rest works itself out. You do good things. People start to believe you're capable. People will start to work with you or for you. You surround yourself with really good people. So if I'm doing something like I have no business, a warden professor has no business trying to make movies, but you have to go and seek out the right partners. But I think first and foremost, it's this self-belief that you need to have. And once you have the self-belief and you worked hard and you've been good at what you do, I think people start contributing in various ways to help you succeed. And I, I forget this exact quote, but roughly what it translated to, which I firmly believe in is, the day you commit yourself to the pursuit, the universe will do all kinds of things to make mm-hmm. it happen, right? And so I, I, I completely believe in that. Love the alchemist quote, but what I really love is that you touched upon something that I come across so often as a coach. A lot of what we do is defined by childhood influences and decisions made in childhood. And it takes that effort to redefine or to make a new decision that I don't have to be that and I can be so many other things. So tell me, what does a typical week look like for you? How do you decide which endeavor to give your time to? And, you know, how do you toggle between one area of work and another? I I think it's, it's hard to jump back and forth. So I usually like to have dedicated time. So I might say, the next two, three years, I'm going to be focused very heavily on this activity. And it might mean slowing down in some of the other areas. But uh, while I'm kind of saying we can be many things, we can be multidimensional, that's mostly about switching from one thing to the other. But I think once we switch, we need dedicated attention and focus on that activity. So that's one. The second for me is how do you find synergies, things to connect the dots, across the things we do. So my teaching has evolved, my research has evolved based on some of these other interests. So for example, at the time that I was writing my book, which was on AI and automated decisions and what can go right, what can go wrong, and shameless plug, it's called Human's Guide to Machine Intelligence. When I was working on that book, I started looking more into teaching 
increasing my AI related content in my course. My research, I evolved it into that direction so that I'm completely focused on this one activity, but this activity manifests itself in my research, in my teaching and the book, and it's showing up in all these places, which all sound different, but the idea is to connect the dots. Now that I'm working on this startup, which is really trying to use data science and scientific approaches in making content, like Hollywood type of content. Accordingly, I'm trying to transition a lot of my other activities. I run the AI center at Wharton. So I'm trying to see what is the connection between that center and this startup. My teaching also will now incorporate a lot of the media-related content. So I think one is, if you're doing many things, connect the dots. They don't have to be separate activities. And secondly, these brief periods, and that could be within a week, saying three, four days, I'm exclusively working on this, one day on that, or perhaps it is in the scheme of months or years, kind of saying I have a focus on this one activity over the next two, three years. And then maybe at some point it evolves, you know, with my startup, you know, at some point I might say, look, to take it to the next level, I'm not the right CEO, bring in a CEO to run that. And I'm supporting that CEO, but then I might switch to another area, but maybe that's the next three years or four years is focused on that. Well, that's interesting. I started by asking you, how does your week look? And uh, your response was in a very different time frame, right? Like that I'll take two, three years to focus on something. And that's probably a key learning for many of us. You have to devote that much of time to really uh, produce superlative output, right? It's not going to happen by constantly toggling between multiple things and hoping that everything strikes gold or something strikes gold. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely believe in that, that, you know, a week is not the time frame to see results. Week is certainly the time frame where you could think about just immediate planning and just the simple logistics of what am I doing from 9 to 10, 10 to 11, those kinds of things. But to see any results, to have any meaningful impact so that it's not a hobby, but it's a profession or something where it's more than, you know, spending weekends on it, then I think we're really talking in, in years to have that kind of impact and and look i think even when i you know we've talked about my new startup which is in the film space it's not like i walked in two years back and said i'm going to start this company i always had an interest in film so many many years ago about 10 12 years ago i signed up for film school i spent that summer going to film school and learning some of the craft i made a bunch of short films just for fun to just understand what it's like and at that time it was all a hobby but over time, it's that hobby is allowing me to understand a few things. And at some point, I kind of said, look, there is something here where multiple things that I worked on in my past come together, my work and skills in data science, my interest in entrepreneurship, and then finally, my hobby, which was filmmaking, and there's a way to connect the dots. And so the dots were finally connected now. But you know, there were some maybe foundational blocks that were set over the last 10 years. And then once I committed to it for the last two years, I've taken a partial leave from Wharton so that the few years I would focus only on this. So I can't be doing the standard workload at Wharton and doing this. Still doing a few things at Wharton, but also allowed me to put in the time I needed to make this company a reality. But, but the nice thing is, again, when you're making choices at an early stage, when you're so many choices, it forces you to think harder and hopefully gets that reflection going sooner. And you figure out 
where you want to be uh, earlier in life as well i think that that's one of the things that uh, interested me that the ability to nurture your passion for movies kind of on the sidelines for a long time till you could kind of make it collide with your core work right and so most of us have that one thing or two things that we really like or enjoy but they stay as separate tracks in our life so what i'm hearing from you is constantly looking for ways to connect the dots you're engineering it rather than letting it happen by accident interesting and i think this is this is a takeaway where most of us don't uh, really invest that time and energy into this introspection and reflection we are still doing the things we're doing hoping they will collide or hoping something happens that you know makes it uh, come together or makes something shine more on one day but i think a lot of time is needed to just step back and and forcefully look at the the bigger picture and the and the dots right you've never held a corporate job right karthik yeah yeah i you do a lot of coaching i mentor a lot of my students one of the things and sometimes i'll run into the students 5 10 15 years later and we'll we'll talk and one of the things i tend to notice is how sometimes people and this is not everyone but some people might feel that they've ended up in a place where there's a disconnect between who they are fundamentally and what kinds of professions they've had or what kinds of skills they've acquired over say a 10 15 year period and that can happen i mean honestly if i were to reflect if i were in a world where you're not you know like middle class india 1990s if i was not in that setup would i have chosen engineering probably not i might have chosen something else when i reflected on who i am what is it i really enjoy it comes down to a few things i enjoy writing a lot i enjoy cinema a lot i enjoy maths uh but they're so different and and certainly none of them obviously is leading to engineering i did that now soon after engineering i decided okay i want to get into business which also i enjoy a lot but then i did a phd and went into academia so i'm writing research papers and at some point you kind of reflect and you say well i don't know that i wanted to be a professor or a researcher or that i set out to be that you know series of events various folks you make certain choices you end up where you are but then i think that disconnect doesn't have to be there and so for me the question became if i'm going to start my next venture what is it that, that connects the dots of who i am with what skills i have and so on and then i arrived at this as the kind of startup that i would like and and i don't know if you've come across this japanese concept of ikigai which is those yes. you know those four circles right what do you love what does the world need what are you good at and uh, what you can be paid for i was looking at those four circles and kind of asking okay mm-hmm. there's a skill set of skills i have there's things i like there's things that i can get paid for where is that intersection and what is in there that's why i arrived at this uh venture but i think coming back to what you were asking me i think it's it's the end of the day it's really mapping out these things of what what am i good at whatever is acquired over time whatever what would i like to do is there something that connects the dots where you can also 
conclude this is a profession, this is something the world is willing to pay for. Let's see, a corporate job, probably not. See, we, we you know this, we used to have these uh, four or five month internships uh, in, in Pilani, right? So I did two of those. Yeah. I did what we call double, double semester internships. Those were both at corporate entities. That's it. But I don't know if it counts. That's an, that's an, uh, you no, know, sorry, months. that doesn't count. That, <laughs> that is like this <laughs> very, you know, very starry eyed uh, intern kind of profile, right? Like, you know, nobody's, nobody's really telling you you got it wrong or you, you know, you can't do this and you can't do yes, that. Yes. So, well, do you, yeah, do you so miss I, anything about that? Do you think that, uh, you know, you would have wanted, uh, it would be good to have that one kind of stint? Especially as, you know, as a teacher, as a professor, most of your students are going to go out into that corporate world, right? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I don't miss it. I don't miss it for a few reasons. One is that as a professor, I've done enough consulting work with some companies and also started a few companies on my own. So at least, you know, Mm -hmm. the one thing I would have feared, and certainly I was nervous about it when I finished my PhD, started teaching MBAs and undergraduates, which is I'm teaching business, but it's not like I've spent 10, 15 years in the business Mm -hmm. world, right? And for me, my equivalent of that happened when I, you know, roughly... You know, even when I was a PhD student, I started a company that failed. My first year at Wharton, I started a company that failed. And then finally, my second year at Wharton, I started a company that worked. And so just, and eventually that company grew and we had about 1,200 employees. And as the founder of that company, I had had enough exposure to these things that I felt I could teach in the classroom and relate to some of the student things. But that's still a startup. That's still entrepreneurial. It's different than a corporate gig and I've had a few consulting sorts of engagements with corporate uh, settings but overall my conclusion has been that's not for me Uh, you know again is there a world in which I could have gone in there and and enjoyed it yeah sure the problem is we all have one life and you know we've got to to pick so I have no complaints about the path I picked because you know, it's given me the freedom to do a lot of things, which if I were in that corporate track chasing the next promotion, which is what I find a lot of people are trapped in, and then managing that bureaucracy and I'm making it sound more negative than it should be. But but I think you get it. Uh, that wasn't for me. So I, I don't regret that. So which also you know brings me to my next question. I realize I'm following a lot of academics, right? know what you are doing and I keep listening to Adam Grant or Cal Newport and just the volume of work that you guys seem to churn out is it because the academic lifestyle allows for it that you're able to get so much done Uh, and those of us uh, who have a very very structured corporate day job um, are struggling to figure out how to you know do all this connect the dots and do multiple things yeah I guess uh, parting thought maybe I'll just Come back to what we started with. We talked about the startup. I have Jump Cut, which is trying to make movies and shows and so on. You could ask, what does a professor have to do with movie making? Or again, I'm in my 40s. How do you make that switch? And I would kind of say for any any of your listeners or professionals or kind of facing these kinds of questions, I would go back to this idea that I think most of the boundaries are self-created and if we walk through it, we'll, real, we'll realize there wasn't a boundary. It was in our head. 
And it's getting through that, I think, that is the big part. And I think there are good ways to think about it. That's why you have professional coaches like yourself. That's why we have lots of books that one can read. But I think there's lots of ways to to explore that. I told you about Ikigai earlier. That was how I was thinking about it for myself. But there's many frameworks to use to try and make those decisions. And I, I think a lot of people I see, especially as they are longer and longer in the in the corporate world, they get into a mindset that I, I keep telling my friends uh, many times at this. Yeah, I think the academic job gives you a certain amount of flexibility um, to pursue and define what your work is. And you pair that with, you know, a setting where, again, you're seeing lots of other people pursue new ideas and so on. It's sort of unique. So, I, you know, for your listeners who are less familiar, the academic setup, especially in the U.S., is one where you start an academic job and initially you are what's called an untenured professor. It's basically an upper out job where at the end of a certain number of years, usually six to nine years, you're either promoted and given tenure or you're asked to leave. And during that first six, seven years, you are proving yourself to peers. In some ways, it's like a corporate job, meaning there's a lot of structure. There's structure meaning in terms of your goals, but there isn't a structure in the sense of a boss who's monitoring you and telling you on a weekly or monthly basis, what's your goal. You are defining your goal, but you know, every three years, there'll be an evaluation for the first six to nine years. And it's all focused on how many papers have you published in which outlets, what are your teaching ratings? And then what do peers in other institutions think about you? Do they think of you as a star mm-hmm. researcher? Once you're tenured, it changes quite dramatically where those evaluations are not strict. And it's mostly around go make a name for yourself. Now we know you do good work. Now take that and go, do whatever you want. One way to interpret it is go do the same thing, do more of it and the other way to do it is, okay, go take your ideas to practice or go take your ideas and communicate it to the masses through books and so on. So I think that's the unique part of academia. And that's why I was saying I don't miss the corporate piece because the flexibility I've had and flexibility is not in terms of time. It's a busy job, but it's flexibility in terms of the things you pursue. I think that that's that's been good. Yeah, that's very insightful. I think, like you said, for many of us, like I heard of the word tenure first only, I think, from Ross Geller on Friends, right? So that was my exposure. Yeah, that's a nice pop fiction version of, of, of this. Yeah. Yeah. Give, give the, the boring version, but yes, the, the Friends <laughs> is the version of it. But, but the other thing I would say is that, you know, I make it sound too good to be true in the sense that, hey, you get tenure and after that you go do whatever you want as long mm-hmm. as it's impactful. The flip side of that is there's no structure at all. There is simply nobody telling you what to do. There is no common organizational goal. There isn't even a team. Often a lot of your pursuit is alone. So it isn't particularly social. There has to be deep um kind of inner motivation and drive and even focus to to get a lot of it done. Yeah, I think to have impact over a long enough period in academia, I think there's got to be a lot of inner motivation. 
Um, and but but then hopefully that motivation comes from having the flexibility to choose what is it you're going yeah. to work on. When we switched uh, tracks a little bit, what do you see in your classrooms today that excites you, and hence what also what disappoints you? I guess it's a double-edged sword. In terms of what excites me, I think it comes back to what you were saying, Shubha, which is there is so much more flexibility for people to do what they are interested in or pursue what they're interested in, and I think that usually translates in greater engagement and interest. So I certainly see that. So that's certainly for me the most exciting change that I've seen relative to how it was when you and I were in. school or college the flip side i mean again you know having that much freedom and that much lack of structure also can mean people are more confused there are some students many in fact who you know they are overwhelmed with the choices and they don't know what to pursue and sometimes they regret what they chose they had to choose something so they chose something i think you tend to see both which is where i think for people to truly reflect to start that reflection early in your life is i think useful and important on who am i what would i enjoy what are the possibilities out there i think that's valuable and i think the other piece is the support we can provide as parents to help them navigate that because i think there's a lot of choice which is all great but it can also mean sometimes confusion i've had undergraduate students who despite all the choice are not sure how and why they ended up where they are and it's mostly because they couldn't choose it was too early in their life and they chose something sure so it's it's been really an insightful conversation kartik i think we've touched a lot in terms of how you cover breadth and depth and uh, i really love the concept of continuously connecting the dots rather than you know waking up one day in your mid 40s and saying hey what happened how did i land up here and how did i completely miss the boat on something that i loved so any parting thoughts for our listeners who are a wide range of professionals kind of seeking that bit of clarity that bit of guidance on how to bring a lot of things together or even just the courage to try something new get out of an employee mindset i keep telling these people that you know get out of the employee mindset because it's a lot of focus on you know my promotion my boss uh did i get a pat on the back from my boss in the form of a bonus or a promotion or things like that and it's all about validation from the employer it should be around reflecting on growth for yourself really reflecting on who i am where do i want to be what skills do i have what can i leverage in getting to the next stage and so on and i think for a lot of professionals it's it's a mind change that's needed because you know you're in something for 10 15 years ultimately what will create more growth including if one stays on in the corporate world promotions is more of that growth mindset which is which is which is kind of breaking free from what i call that employee mindset so i think that's that probably would be my parting thought from a person who's never been in the corporate world to all of you in the corporate world that's my parting words <laughs> thank you so much for a person who's never been in the corporate world who are deeply scarred by the word promotion i must say <laughs> <laughs> but uh, really thank you so much for your time and it's been a real pleasure as always chatting with you 
and we look forward to movies and books and more maybe even one or two stand up acts from you soon all right thank you so much for having me shubhan this was fun